We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Chicago Bears select... Welcome to Picks for Polls, presented by The Bear Report. Your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome to Picks for Polls, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report and Blue Wire Pods. My name is Andrew Freeman, and as always, joined by my co-host, Yusei Koshal here. Uh, we're recording on a Wednesday, January 24th, as uh, got some news to talk about here finally with the Bears, as the, their offensive coordinator search has finally come to a close. They've uh, decided on who's going to be leading this offense going into next season and perhaps going forward you know, for the next few seasons, you know, depending on how it all works out. And, and that man is Shane Waldron, uh, offensive coordinator, former offensive coordinator for the Seattle Seahawks. We'll be getting into that hire today and how that kind of the domino effect that's going to occur because of that hire. But before we get into all the nitty gritty of things you said, how are you doing today, man? Yeah, man, I'm doing well. Like you said, we finally got some bears news Monday morning, just as, everyone's getting up and getting ready to go to work. I think NFL network tweeted it out around five 15 in the morning, which is I literally, it was the most opportune time ever because I literally woke up. I had one eye open and then I was just, just so happy to be looking at my phone and boom, the bears hired Shane Waldron, which to be honest, you know, we kind of knew was in the works anyway. Yeah. He was the, the bears first, you know, interview for that offensive coordinator position. And, and the only reason he really became available was because of, you know, the fact that, you know, Seattle is going a new direction with their entire coaching staff. You know, they, they uh, let go of Pete Carroll or mutually part of ways, whatever they want to, they want to call it there. They're going a new direction in Seattle. And so now Shane Waldron coming in here, who, you know, comes from the Sean McVay coaching tree. And I guess we can go over, you know, his entire, you know, coaching profile here, you know, Shea Waldron, he's got a very interesting kind of career path to getting to this point as an offensive coordinator. You know, he's 44 years old, so he's still on the younger side uh, among, you know, coaches in the NFL. Um, And he's a guy who has had a lot of roles. You know, he's a guy who, you know, was a graduate assistant at Notre Dame back in the early 2000s. His first in the NFL actually came 
um, in the front office uh, working for the New England Patriots um, as an intern. Eventually got um, into you know being an offensive quality control coach and a tight ends coach for the Patriots. Uh, spent some times in college. Spent some time in college um, for a few years after that, and then in 2016 he gets on uh, the Washington coaching staff as an offensive quality control coach. You know when Sean McVay was there as the offensive coordinator, um, and then he follows Sean McVay to LA in 2017, where that was the second year, if we remember, of Jared Goff, and that was Jared Goff's breakout year. Um, Shane Waldron was, you know, the tight ends coach that season in 2018, got promoted to passing game coordinator where he held that title um, until 2020. And then he goes to Seattle to become the offensive coordinator where he finally gets to have play calling duties because obviously Sean McVay has all the play calling duties um, for the Rams. So Shane Waldron had a chance to finally be uh, his own offensive coordinator in Seattle. You know, 2021, that was the last year Russell Wilson but he's going to be most known, I think, for these last two years where uh, he was able to you know, get a resurgence out of Geno Smith and really resurrect, helps resurrect his career. Um, so Waldron, he's got you know, a very – when you're looking at the resume here, and we'll get more into you know, exactly you know, how good his offenses have been um, that he's coordinated here. But just looking at things on the surface level, the fact that he's a McVay guy, he's a relatively young guy, he's got experience in the league um, – you know, he's got experience as a play caller, as a success, successful play caller. Um, this is about his best case scenario that the Bears could hope for, in my opinion, um, when they made this, you know, this decision to make the move at offensive coordinator this, you know, a couple weeks ago. And really, it's the two factors that stick out when you're going to start to evaluate Shane Waldron on paper. I mean, number one, you're looking at a guy who's coming in. He's got three years of play calling experience. And then number two, the guy really has this incredibly broad background that quite frankly, if we're going to be honest, a lot of past offensive coordinators and really play callers for the bears have not necessarily had. I mean, you look back at Luke Getze. Well, he was a guy who again, pretty much spent all his time, in the NFL, in Green Bay, bouncing around in multiple roles. You look at, even I would go so far as to say, a guy like a Matt Nagy, and all of a sudden you're getting a guy who you know, primarily came up under Andy Reid and really only in one system. Now, you look at Shane Waldron, well, the big difference is, did he really begin to break through in the NFL under the tutelage of a Sean McVay yes he did but also the big thing to keep in mind there is that when Waldron was in Seattle for the last three seasons under Pete Carroll I mean it's a very different dynamic with just who Pete Carroll is as an individual and just kind of how he runs the show how that coaching staff really appeals to and treats the players because Pete Carroll is one of the smartest football minds out there, whether or not you like him. And ultimately for Shane Waldron, I mean, this was just a case of where he got a chance to put his own stamp on the offense. He really got a chance to go ahead and prove that he could really make the most of everything that he was giving. Now, a lot of people I think are going to look at Shane Waldron and the Seattle offense and just look at the raw numbers, but there's, so much more that needs to be discussed in terms of the formations, the personnel groupings, the players that he had at his disposal in Seattle, along with just the number of injuries to the offensive line. And then the biggest domino of all ultimately is quarterback Geno Smith and how he pretty much went from second round draft pick to veteran journeyman all the way to pretty much being the starter 
which you don't really hear a lot of revival stories like we have seen with Geno Smith. Yeah, it was amazing with the Geno Smith stories that like he wasn't even guaranteed the starting job going into 22. If you remember, like it was him and Drew Locke were basically going to have a quarterback competition in training camp and in preseason that year. He won the job, and then he just, you know, <laughs> he had a really good year in 2022. You know, kind of statistically fell back a little bit uh, this past year as the Seattle offense had, you know, some other issues working as, like you mentioned, the offensive line was a big issue that kind of held that unit back this past year, um, especially when they had to pass. They have a lot of young guys in the offensive line that really, you know, did not go as well for them. They were able to coach around it in 2022, but in 2023, that definitely got exposed a little bit, you know, looking at, you know, the way Waldron, first of all, let's look at the results that Waldron has been able to, you know, come up with so far in his career. You know, keep in mind that this is with Geno Smith as his quarterback. This is with a very young offensive offensive line. Um, you know, first of all, I, I look at the passing success that he's been able to have. You know, again, they, they have, you know, DJ Metcalf there. They have DK Metcalf, I should say. They have Tyler Lockett. You know, they, they draft, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba this past year. Um, but you look at their passing success, you know, 14th, his first year in net yards per attempt, you know, with Russell Wilson, who's kind of already showing signs of a significant decline, which we saw in Denver the past two years. And then with Geno Smith, they were a top 10 offense in terms of net yards per attempt 11th this past year. Um, so they have been a very efficient passing attack under Shane Waldron, despite not what I would describe as having franchise quarterback caliber, you know, quarterback play. I think Geno Smith is, a, you know, a solid, you know, probably mid-tier starter in that kind of 16 to 20 range that you're kind of looking for among NFL quarterbacks, but he's not necessarily like that, that superstar quarterback that elevates your offense, so to speak. You know, he, he's been quite solid, um, but overall Shane Waldron, uh, you know, did a pretty good job of maximizing, I think, the quarterback play that he's had. And what I like about you know, Waldron and what he's done is that he's a much more aggressive, you know, coordinator in terms of, you know, the passing game that we've seen in years past. You know, you look at Luke Getze, he was one of those run heavy coordinators in the NFL. Now, some of that is playing to his personnel, like in 2022, the Bears just didn't have the receivers and you had this dynamic athlete in Justin Fields that you can use in the run game. So why not lean into that a little bit more? They tried to go a little bit more pass heavy this year at the beginning of the year. But once again, we saw them go to more of that run heavy approach as the year went on, Waldron, he, he is a much more of a pass first guy. You know, when situation was neutral, his pass percentage in the NFL, here's how it ranks. Uh, 21st his first year, that was with Russell Wilson as his quarterback. That jumped up all the way to 10th in 2022 with Geno Smith and then fourth this past year. So we see a guy, we see a coordinator who's increasingly gotten more aggressive passing the ball, which I think is much, a much better fit for the modern NFL. And, and, you know, to compare the bears to that the bears were last dead last in the NFL the past two years um, in terms of, you know, neutral situation, pass aggressiveness. So Shane Waldron, the guy is a guy who, you know, regardless of who the quarterback's going to be, or, you know, maybe that will influence the quarterback decision, which we're going to get into. Um, but he's a guy who's going to air it out. Right. And for a team that's looking to get that you'd hope that's looking to get more into the modern NFL, um, that does make some things pretty exciting in that regard. 
You talk about airing it out. I mean, let's just look at a lot of the numbers that those three receivers really put up, which I should also mention in terms of the three receivers. I mean, they were a very Seattle's offense. They were slightly different from what the Rams did in the sense that the Rams at times during the early Sean McVay years were very much a two tight end offense, right? They ran a lot of 11 personnel. And then as soon as they moved on from Gurley, and then as soon as they moved on from Jared Goff, they ended up getting Matt Stafford in there. You really saw everything come to life in terms of them running a lot of three, actually more three receiver sets and Aaron get out. And that was ultimately the Shane Waldron that we saw in Seattle, because you look at Seattle's personnel groupings last year. I mean, they forever on the roster only had one really good tight end in Will Disley. And then they have three really good receivers in Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, as well as that first round pick Jackson Smith, the Jigba. And you look at the two vets in Lockett and Metcalf. I mean, they had well over a thousand yards each. You look at Jackson Smith, the Jigba. Well, he had just over 600 receiving yards, right around about 630 receiving yards. So it's a situation where, you know, you're going to see a lot of three receiver sets really come to life here. And when Matt Eberflus at the end of season presser talked about how, Hey, look, we want someone who's going to be more explosive. Well, it's interesting because he didn't necessarily say explosive as a runner or a passer. He just said, we need someone to be more explosive. And you look at Matt Eberflus's philosophy over the last couple of years. I mean, it meshes with Shane Waldron's quite well, because the one word that Eberflus preached a lot in November and December of the 23 season was complimentary football. And the bears are looking at this and the traditional meaning has always been defense that generates turnovers running game that wins for us. But now that's taking on a new meaning here in Chicago. Cause with the additional Waldron, well, you're going to want that defense that generates turnovers, but then also that offense that brings these big explosive pass plays in the passing game because that's just something that this franchise has severely lacked over the last basically decade at this point. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, and when you look at the totality of that, why that's important is that, you know, passing offense generally leads to more efficient offense, especially when you are able to pass the ball efficiently and pass the ball well, right? And you have that explosive element to your passing game. And and just for reference, like the Bears this past year, you know, they were – this is something Adam Johns tweeted out there uh, when uh, Waldron was hired. 
But the Bears this past season, they were 22nd in the NFL in EPA per play on offense and 24th in success percentage on offense. The Seahawks this past year, they were 10th in EPA per play and they were 9th in success percentage. Uh, so you're talking about a league's a, a much a, a tier or two above what the Bears had this past year in terms of offensive production. And I know a lot of Seahawks fans, you know, we've gotten some stories about how Seahawks fans, you know, weren't necessarily like happy with Waldron when he was the offensive coordinator there. But I, I also kind of come to the conclusion that like most fan bases aren't really happy with their offensive coordinator. The more you kind of look into things, it always seems like the offensive coordinator is like the first guy that gets blamed when things start to not go well. Like look at like the Packers this past year uh, with uh, Jordan Love early in the year and and that offense having some of the struggles with Jordan Love and, you know, integrating a lot of the young receivers. Like there were Packers fans legitimately like unironically calling for of a floor to get fired mid season and like how stupid they look right now because the floor, like one, they were able to bounce back and uh, they had a really strong end to the season uh, winning a playoff game. That offense was dialed in the last half of the season, but like also like how short of a memory because LaFleur with all the success that LaFleur has had as an offensive play caller um, before uh, that kind of, you know, tough stretch they had early in the year. Right. And I think it's a lot, it's very easy for a lot of fans to kind of get lost um, and not see the big picture uh, when there are some, you know, occasional struggles on offense. And the first guy often to get the blame is the offensive coordinator when there are often other issues at play besides just the play calling. Right. So, you know, I'm not saying, am I saying that Waldron is an elite play caller by any means? No, I think he's a very good one. There's a reason why he was a guy going into this year that a lot of people had as potentially being a head coach, you know, higher this off season um, didn't turn out that way, obviously for a variety of reasons, but regardless, I think we're both on the same page here that this is a very good hire for the bears about as good as they can make given the circumstances. And also clear to me that evil Flus wants this style of offense um, on that side of the ball, right. Where he wants that, you know, Shanahan West coast, not necessarily West coast, but that Shanahan style of offense uh, from that coaching tree. That's what he thought he was getting out of Luke Getze, which didn't turn out to really be the case. Luke Getze wasn't really a Shanahan guy. He just happened to be on the floor staff the past couple of years before he got hired. But really he was more of a, you know, Mike McCarthy disciple where that was more of your traditional West coast and not the Shanahan style of offense. That's now much more popular in the NFL today. You know, Waldron is a Shanahan style guy through and through um, who's been, you know, a true disciple of you know Sean McVay, right? So you have that background right there. And we can kind of shift this conversation now to like the personnel. How does this affect things moving forward? Obviously, you have to start at quarterback here, which look, I don't think this hire necessarily points to any direction either way, whether they're gonna be sticking with Justin Fields or moving on with a rookie quarterback. Um, you know, there was that quote, I forgot you know who reported it, but there's a quote that um, you know, one national reporter had it in there that I guess like Eberflus, you know, did had you know was defending Justin Fields in these offensive coordinator interviews. But also, it sounds like offensive coordinators. The reason why they were interested in the job was the opportunity to, you know, be able to coach the number one overall pick. So the way I took that was that like the Bears aren't really tipping their hand here. Like they're going, of course, they're going to you know 
push Justin Fields as an option here. You know, they want to have all their options open in case they decide not to pick a quarterback and number one overall in the process. But, you know, you're looking at Waldron and his background, you said, you know, what do you, what do you foresee happening? You know, how, how does this influence the quarterback decision as we move along in the process here? I mean, honestly, I don't necessarily think hiring an offensive coordinator is really going to go ahead and necessarily even sway the decision, especially when you bring in a wild card like Shane Waldron. And what I mean by that is this, is you're talking about a guy who, again, has worked with some young quarterbacks around the league. You're also talking about a guy who has really helped veteran quarterbacks just go ahead and turn their entire career around. But what makes this decision to me so interesting is that ultimately Shane Waldron's going to have to just figure out what this offense needs to be, regardless of who's playing under center and really for Waldron. I mean, he's going to have to figure out what he wants this offense to look like when that decision on the quarterback is made, because you kind of look at everything right here. And, you know, one of the things that I tweeted was the fact that if you look at a lot of the guys that do come from that Shanahan coaching tree, guys that are all in some capacity, head coaches across the league. Now, Matt LaFleur, Caleb, I'm sorry, Matt LaFleur, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, you can even throw Waldron on there, Rich Scangrello, who again was in Denver for a couple of years and then with the 49ers in a role a couple of years ago before he left for Kentucky. I mean, those guys have all worked for the same private quarterback company, QB Collective. And so the reason that I bring that up is simply because, yes, if you go to the QB Collective website, it's a bit outdated and Justin Fields pictures on there but you know the point is is that Caleb Williams is also currently working with QB Collective and so it kind of brings about this intrigue in terms of you know there's going to be some chatter that's going on there in terms of Waldron going ahead and talking to his old buddy Rich Scangrello about hey what exactly is Caleb Williams really all about and to me I mean at this point it's really sort of a pick your poison because the way that you have to view the situation is from a perspective of longevity. Do you believe when you're making this decision at Hallows Hall between the football minds there, but do you believe that a Caleb Williams or a Drake may with Shane Waldron can be farther ahead in three years than wherever Justin Fields is currently at in terms of what he's put on tape over the last couple seasons? Or do you believe that Waldron and his offense are good enough to surround Justin Fields with the support that it's maybe not worth taking a quarterback at one overall and basically saying, hey, you know what, we're going to go ahead and we're going to build this thing around him because we feel like this offseason gives us the opportunity to build up the personnel and bring in the playmakers that Fields needs and Waldron needs. Yeah, you know, to me, the biggest thing I look at when it comes to either quarterback here, and, um, you know, again, I, I I think the Bears are have already made kind of their de facto decision on what they're going to do at quarterback, um, and we're just going to see how it all plays out. I, I, I do think that they are going to draft a quarterback. It's just a matter of who they decide to draft. Um, but – I think what even if they do stick with Justin Fields, I think the one thing that you, po- you can point at and say that 
you know, one tangible thing that Waldron is going to be able to improve upon with these guys, um, whether it be Justin Fields or Caleb Williams, is that he's going to, you know, find a, a way to, you know, get these guys to play on time and get the ball out of their hands quicker. You know, just looking at what he was able to do with Russell Wilson um, in, you know, his final year um, in Seattle, the first year that Waldron was there, you know, Russell Wilson, typically a guy whose time to throw was up, you know, around the three second mark, if not above the three second mark for a good portion of his career. Um, you know, he had the second lowest time to throw of his career and his one year under Shane Waldron at, you know, 2.78 seconds per drop back, um, you know, which you know is about league average, but for Russell Wilson, who's typically, you know, his career average is right on the dot three seconds time to throw. Um, that's a pretty significant drop in, you know, that statistic right there. And it shows that, you know, you know Waldron for what, it, what he's able to do schematically in the quick game and some of the raw concepts he has, he's able to get these guys to get the ball out of their hands quickly. Right. And even going to Geno Smith, Geno Smith, a guy who forced careers at 2.9 time to throw, um, you know, on average, but you know, his first few years in career when he was getting significant playing time, he was up and above, you know, three seconds, you know, per drop back there. And what we've seen under Shane Waldron, he's got that down to 2.79 last year. And then 2023, 2.73 seconds per drop debt, right? So we're seeing a kind of a theme here where, where these guys are getting the ball out quicker while still attacking down the field. They don't necessarily have low, you know, a, you know, just distance, you know, per throw, right? You know, Geno Smith's in 2022 is 9.5 adjusted depth per target, right? So, they're still throwing the ball down the field. It's just that they're, you know, working in that those quick game concepts so that the quarterbacks aren't holding on to the ball for a very long time consistently. And why that's important for Justin Fields is because Justin Fields is notorious for holding on to the ball way too long and struggling with that type of stuff, right? He had the highest time to throw by far in 2023 at 3.4 seconds, you know, per drop back or per throw. Um, and that was after a year where he was up around that 3.4 range again in 2022. So under Getze, you know, we saw Justin Fields time to throw go astronomically higher after already being a high time to throw guy. So if the bears were theoretically or hypothetically were to stick with Justin Fields, you would assume that he would be able to get that time to throw cut down significantly, which I can't emphasize enough is a huge, you know, huge positive um, considering that that leads to a lot of Justin Fields issues in terms of, you know, not getting the ball out on time, taking away too many sacks, taking away too many hits, um, you know, all that stuff. And it also would be very beneficial for a guy like Caleb Williams, who also is a high time to throw guy going, you know, into his career in college, his past year in college, you know, he had a 3.16 second you know, time to throw on average. So he's another guy who holds the ball on for a very long time. And you would imagine that Shane Waldron, especially with Caleb Williams ability with his quick release and his ability um, to make throws in different arm slots and angles and um, not have to be, you know, on balance to make, you know, quick decisive throws in the quick game, he'd be much better equipped to handle those types of concepts. Right. So to me, that's a that's a big thing that I'm looking for in terms of like personnel usage. We can get kind of get into that now, you know, beyond quarterback because I I I just think like there's only so much we can discuss with the quarterback thing. We, we've discussed it enough, but I think the Waldron hire has a much bigger impact on how the Bears 
end up building up the rest of their roster um, with the resources that they have. Because you look at Waldron and, you know, kind of his background here, you know, his past few years in Seattle, one of the things that have been a staple of his offenses have been a very high usage of multiple tight end sets. Like the Seahawks have regularly under his, um, under his coordination have been one of the highest rated teams or highest percentage teams in 12 personnel usage and 13 personnel usage, which is two tight end sets and three tight end sets. And, you know, they had the personnel to do that with Seattle. When you have guys like Will Disley and Kobe Parkinson um, and one other guy, I'm, I'm, that's not coming to my mind here for whatever reason. Um, but they had the personnel to run those multi tight end sets, right? You know, for the Bears, you have Cole Komet, obviously, but you know, who else are you going to add to that that fold there? You know, you could go and sign a guy like Gerald Everett in free agency who has connections to Shane Waldron, um, or does Brock Bowers become an option for you in the draft? To me, that's another interesting part of uh, this entire conversation. It certainly is. And I know I said earlier that you're going to see some 11 personnel stuff as well. And the fact being is that they've really only had one true threat in the passing game, at least, you know, when they are not in the red zone and will Disley. But ultimately, I mean, you know, you start to look at a lot of the personnel groupings here and you start to kind of connect the dots and really put things together in terms of what this offense is going to look like. Because you know for a fact that, I mean, as good as DJ Moore was, the Bears are still due for some upgrades to the receiver position. And, you know, Shane Waldron, and again, even going back to his days with the LA Rams, this is just a system that just loves to go ahead and thrive off two to three really good wide receivers. But then they're also not afraid in that outside zone running game to really go ahead and say, hey, you know what? Instead of having the offense be passed first all the time, we're going to go ahead and we're going to get some play action involved. We are going to bring in these two to three tight end sets. And I think, you know, ultimately the bears have a Y in Cole commit, right? They've got that Y tight end. You could also argue that they need really a true H, which is basically a hybrid between a fullback as well as a tight end. I think you look at this position and, you know, it's a position where you can find a, serviceable veteran in free agency and then really bringing in another you know wide tight end as well to complement what Cole Komet is able to do maybe a guy who really specializes in um breakaway speed we know that Brock Bowers is the cream of the crop in this draft in terms of the tight end position but maybe the Bears look at rounds two and three really if you know in round three or four I want to say and there's a guy like Jaheim Bell sitting there and you bring him in because you believe that he has enough of what you're looking for in this offense. And, you know, last point I'm going to make here about the running back room is the Bears are going to have some decisions to make when it comes to the running back room. You look at where this running back room is at. Yeah, you're pretty much set with Khalil Herbert and Roshan Johnson as your one-two punch, just like Seattle's had with guys like Kenneth Walker over the last couple of years and Zach Charbonnet. But it would make some sense for them to look into adding another third-string guy or even just a guy who can really come in and serve in a lot of those go-to-go type situations because this, again, it's a scheme that's predicated on a lot of explosiveness. And so it's going to be surprising because there's 
personnel here that this offense requires that isn't necessarily a high need on the roster, but the Bears are sitting, I think, at $46 million in cap space right now. And they're certainly going to be dipping into the tight end market as well as the wide receiver market and free agency. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The running back position is a very interesting one to point out because the McVay tree and the Shanahan tree in general, it's very odd because this coaching tree proves time and time again the mantra that like running backs don't matter because they can seemingly plug in any running back into that system and have them be successful. Yet, you know, they're one of the few coaching trees in the NFL that like always looks to have high investments at the running back position for whatever reason, right? And you go look, you look at like, Sean McVay during his time in Los Angeles with uh, the Rams, like they paid, you know, Todd Gurley a lot of money, um, you know, after his initial rookie contract came up, uh, they spent, you know, a second round pick on Cam Akers. You look at Walter in Seattle, Seattle spent back to back years. They spent second round picks on running backs. Um, when you look at Walker and, uh, you know, Charbonnet. Um, so, you know, this is an offense where they do value that running back position very highly. So would it surprise me at all if they were to draft a guy, let's say in the second or third round, let's say they get a second round pick for Justin Fields or something and um, spend a second round pick on a running back. This isn't necessarily a great running back class to do that in, but I wouldn't say that would be the most surprising thing. They could also maybe look to sign a guy like, you know, Josh Jacobs in free agency or a Saquon Barkley in free agency who's going to be available, right? Yeah, that could be a position where it would be not something I would agree with, you know, from a roster building standpoint. But, you know, if this is a coaching tree where they do value that running back position, right? So that is also something to to keep in mind as well. And in regards to the wide receiver position, I think, you know, what's interesting for me is that they do value having three legitimate options in the passing game and also three guys in the passing game that have different skill sets, Right. Um, you, you look at the Seahawks, they have, you know, you have DK Metcalf, who's Metcalf, who is your classic quintessential X outside receiver where he's running goal balls, you know, in breaking routes, comeback routes, you know, a guy who's a jump ball guy, a deep threat guy, you know, big place sort of wide receiver right there, but not necessarily a technician as a route runner or a guy who you can trust to, to separate on a variety of different nuanced routes, not a guy who's going to move all over the field for you. You know, he's that big play threat on the outside um, that defenses have to account for, right? And then you have TJ Lock, TJ Lockett, or yeah, you have Lockett in uh, who can kind of be that that Z or that slot wide receiver who kind of adds a deep threat element to his game, uh, right? Uh, Tyler Lockett is is what I was thinking about. Um, but you know, Lockett, you know, he's a very interesting player because undersized receiver, but shifty guy who can separate at all three levels of the field, but he adds a lot of value, you know, having that positional flexibility, being able to move all over the formation, uh, being able to be a vertical threat in the passing game. And then you go out there and draft Jackson Smith and Jigba, who can be that true slot receiver, that possession guy in the passing game, um, who can be a high volume guy who was capable of being a high volume guy 
and just be a very good possession wide receiver for you. We saw Cooper Cup have you know one of the greatest seasons in NFL history for a wide receiver in kind of that similar role in this similar in the in this McVay style of offense for the Rams a few years ago, where again he's in the slot primarily. He's a he, he's contributing as a blocker. Um, they move him all over the formation. They use him in a variety of ways, and he's kind of that security blanket for a quarterback. And he gets a lot of targets um, in the you know intermediate portion of the field, um, and, and just being that reliable guy who can keep the chains moving for your offense. So I, I think Waldron he's going to value kind of having a bunch of different skill sets on this offense um, at that wide receiver spot. You know, looking at guys in the draft like. Romeo Dunze, for instance, I think he could fit kind of that DK Metcalf sort of role where he's that true X wide receiver. You know, he can run goal balls, vertical routes, um, get open on like on deep digs, um, crossers uh, over the middle of the field, and use his size, his physicality, his athleticism uh, to make big plays down the field and, and win contested catches, right? DJ Moore, I, I think, you know, he's obviously a, a tier above a guy like Lockett, I'd say. Um, right now, but he can kind of be that guy that can you can move him all over the field. He's an elite uh, yards after the catch receiver. He can separate at all three levels, right? He, he's he kind of offers that skill set to your offense as your true number one guy. You know, do they try to get maybe a, another slot receiver here in free agency, a guy like um, you know Tyler Boyd? You know, Boyd would be an interesting option. You know, guy for the Cincinnati Bengals for a long time uh, was a very good player. Uh, Curtis Samuel from the from the Washington Commanders, another kind of slot guy who with some versatility to his game, right? So these are these are some different options that the Bears could have available to them this offseason. They have the resources to do it. And when you when you you know factor in the draft capital they have right now, and we can kind of get to that conversation, they have the ability to address that. Like obviously they they have the number one overall pick, but they have the ninth overall pick as well. They got you know a third round pick this year, two fourth round picks, and a fifth round pick. You know, if, if they are able to swing a trade for Justin Fields and get maybe a second round pick in this year's draft, now you're setting up yourself pretty well to where you can draft Caleb Williams at number one overall. Maybe one of those top three wide receivers falls to you at number nine or Brock Bowers. Um, I mean, you can really set yourself up very well to address your offense um, in this draft class. And just saying, I mean, the ultimate wild card here in free agency that on paper would look really good in terms of his production, but you don't know what type of contract he's going to command. And that's if he hits the open market would definitely be Mike Evans. I mean, he would be the most ready kind of X receiver there would be. But no, you know, you look at these, um, you know, some of the names you rattled off there, right? Ideally, you're going to want someone who is not going to command that high of a contract. Now you look at a guy like Curtis Samuel, Michael Pittman, even Tyler Boyd. I mean, those are players that definitely do make sense for this team as X wide receivers, right? They're also players that at one point were kind of the best receiving options on their team. But I think, you know, you look at the draft and knowing the way Ryan Poles is chosen to kind of build out the defense and then looking at what can potentially happen for the offense. I mean, you're sitting here in top 10 territory right so you have your ninth overall pick and I think you know Roma Dunze is being linked to going anywhere between 
picks, I want to say seven and picks 15 or 16. After that is kind of where the waters get a little bit muddy here because there's a handful of guys, right? You've got Johnny Wilson from Florida State. You've got Keon Coleman from Florida State too. Again, a couple guys who would make sense as exes. Adonai Mitchell and Xavier Worthy, both from Texas, certainly make sense. So there's not necessarily going to be a shortage of good receiver options for the bears here. And, you know, maybe they decide to double dip and say, Hey, listen, you know, we're going to trade back from ninth overall in round one. We are going to go ahead and we're going to draft a wide receiver. And then with the, hopefully the second round pick that we recoup in that trade back, we are able to go ahead and double dip and add another wide receiver because this is a receiver class where it's yes. Marvin Harrison jr. Is kind of in this class of his own, but it's also a group where there's a lot of depth on day one and day two that's going to be available. But you're pretty much striking gold if you draft multiple guys within the first basically two to three rounds. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Yeah, in my opinion, this is a perfect year to kind of double dip at the position, right? You can get you know, a Romeo Dunce or even a Brock Bowers at number nine overall, you know, get that player into your, on, onto your team there. And then, you know, I look at some of the options on day two, and I really like some of the wide receiver talent that projects to be available to you right there. You got, you know, guys like Xavier Leggett is a guy who would kind of be that DK Metcalf sort of role, right? Where he's just this big freaky athletic dude um, who wasn't particularly productive until his final year in college but he was able to really put it all together and just has a freakish athletic skill set to his game you know Lam McConkey from Georgia he's a kind of a day two flyer guy who has gotten some first round buzz you know he's a guy who's really 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 good as a route runner really good separator um, just a very you know really a technician at that wide receiver position he would be a good available receiver in round two as well um, you know, Jalen Polk out of Washington, the other Washington receiver who is expected to go pretty high, just, you know, prototypical outside receiver with some slot flexibility, um, you know, not necessarily a burner, but a very good route runner, very good hands, good contested catch ability. I look at Roman Wilson. He's a guy that I really like as that true slot option. Um, a guy who's got very, very good long speed, um, again, solid route runner, very reliable hands. Um, there is there is a lot of talent at this wide receiver position once again in the NFL draft. So the bears could really, you know, after wide receiver was a bit of a problem for them this past year, after you got past DJ Moore on the depth chart, they could really, you know, kind of do like the chiefs thing. You know, remember a couple of years ago where they saw that offensive tackle offensive line was a problem for them. And they were like, well, that's never going to happen again. We're just going to over invest in the offensive line and fix that problem so we have to never have to deal with it again. The Bears could do that this offseason where, you know, they could sign a guy, sign a guy in free agency, they could get multiple draft picks at the position there um and they could really try to solidify that unit for the long haul um whether it be with Justin Fields or with a rookie quarterback 
Um, you know, another option I put out there in free agency, you know, Josh Reynolds, don't be surprised if the Bears kind of target him in free agency because he'd be a guy who'd be a little bit cheaper for them. Um, and he has experience with Shane Waldron as well. They were both on the Rams together um, during their time there. So he would be another option. Josh Reynolds, he's on the, he's on the Lions right now. Um, very good, well-rounded, all-around wide receiver. Um, so he could be another option in free agency as well to kind of throw out there as an under-the-radar under guy. But I, I think overall, there's just there's just a lot of options, I think, here with the Bears here with how they can address this offense now. And now that we got some clarity on the uh, the coordinator spot finally, um, I, I think it's really – it's much easier to imagine seeing all the pieces come into place over the next few months, right, when it comes, when it comes to first – uh, the quarterback decision, what they do there, and then how they approach free agency, how they allocate their resources, and then how they approach the draft. Like, I think there's going to be a very logical through line to this, um, you know, depending on what Shane Waldron is going to want to do. Because ultimately the Bears, when it comes down to things like they have to fix the offense this year, we know that the defense is on the right trajectory. The offense did not take a step forward this past year. You know, all things considered, this is really when we – kind of conclude things here this is the first step forward in getting the offense back on the right track absolutely it certainly is and you know i mentioned this in last week's episode i'm gonna kind of say the exact same thing again between last year and this year i mean just the 2023 calendar year alone you gave tj edwards a big contract you gave Tremaine Edmonds, a big contract. You invested a second round pick in $98 million in Montez Sweat. And then you went out and you drafted, you know, 11 draft picks basically in your first two seasons were on the defensive side of the ball. And so now what's happening is this year, it's kind of the, the rebuild for the defense is almost done, by the way. And the cherry on top is going to be the breakout season by Tyreek Stevenson, as well as the Eddie Jackson decision, and then Jalen Johnson getting his extension. But now you start to shift the roster building perspective to where this team is at in terms of the offense. Right now, the Bears have three first-round picks on that offense. It's Fields, Zarno, right, and DJ Moore. Well, you're going to see an infusion of a hell of a lot more. And the reason being is because this is a really good draft class to finally add the finishing touches for your offense, right? And is this a draft class and an offense that's far from complete? Not necessarily. I mean, they're going to have to figure out what they want to do with the interior of the offensive line. They are also going to have to go ahead and figure out, we know what the wild card is in terms of the quarterback position, but they're also going to have to figure out, you know, the receiver position. You could also look at some tight end depth unless they decide, hey, we're going to bring Robert Tunyon back on another cheap one or two year deal. And so the Bears spent all this time and money on defense, and now they're going to invest it in offense. And why? Because when this defense starts getting old in another three to four years, well, that's when kind of the cycle will come full circle because what will happen is in a few years down the road, it's going to be time to start paying some of these guys on offense. And that's when you'll be able to just draft young and really keep the defense young as that offense goes into its second contract and begins to, you know, really mature and phase and has won a couple seasons. Okay. And again, that's considering that everything pans out and we're not sitting here in like 2026 talking about starting all over again. Yeah, ultimately, you hope that this is a hire that can bring you know stability 
to the Bears on the offensive side of the ball. Now it's possible that Waldron could have a lot of success here and then, you know, go out and have a head coaching job um, in a couple of years, in which case, you know, you hope that you have a young guy in-house that you can, you know, promote to be the offensive coordinator, keep some continuity, kind of similar to the Bills, you know, with with Josh Allen and his situation there. Could also be a situation where it doesn't work out and we're, you know, doing this same song and dance again next year uh, with a new entirely different coaching staff coming in for, you know, a drafted quarterback, right? So, you know, it could go a variety of directions, you know, when it comes to this hire. But ultimately, I, I like I, I'm pretty excited about it. I'm, I'm excited about the possibilities. Like you said, you know, they are going to have a lot of needs to address on the offensive side of the ball. You know, the defense, you know, I, I look at the defensive needs and I see a defense that is one impact pass rusher away from being a really, really good unit um, on that side of the ball. They have the secondary. They have they've invested at linebacker. You have Montez Sweat in. Um, they need to get another impact pass rusher, whether it's an edge rusher or, or an interior defensive you know, lineman, an interior pass rusher. They need to get someone in there who can take some pressure off of Sweat. Um, into that building there. Um, but, you know, the offense this year, who's going to be your wide receiver two? Who's going to be your wide receiver three? You know, if you're going to be running a lot of multi-tight end sets, who's going to be the guys that kind of, you know, function next to a Cole Komet and can have different skill sets than a Cole Komet? Who's going to be your starting center, right? Because that's that was like the biggest issue, one of the biggest issues with the Bears offense this past year was that like they couldn't find just a normal center. It, it, all you had, it, it, whether it was Lucas Patrick who you know couldn't block anybody or Dan Feeney who couldn't snap a ball or Cody Whitehair who couldn't snap a ball and couldn't block anybody at his stage of his career, right? Like there was there's constant turmoil at that center position. You know, how are they going to address that center position? Getting more depth in the interior line as well because you can't really trust Nate Davis to, you know, get back to his old, you know, caliber of play. You can't really trust Tevin Jenkins to stay healthy. Those are all, you know, important needs that they're going to have to address here. You know, I would love to see a draft similar to what the Packers did this past year where, yeah, sure, they sent they spent their first-round pick on Lucas Van Ness, um, an edge rusher, but you look at what they did in the draft where they basically have, like, their entire offense now on rookie contracts around Jordan Love to grow and develop with him. When you look at, you know, the past year, you got Christian Watson in the second round. They constantly draft offensive linemen in, you know, late day two, early day three stages of the draft, and they develop those guys. Look at Zach Tom um, was one of those draft selections in the past couple of years who has really blossomed at right tackle for them. You know, their entire weaponry now is on rookie contracts. You look at Jaden Reed on a rookie contract, Romeo Dobbs on a rookie contract, um, second year player, uh, Luke Musgrave, Tucker Kraft this past year at tight end. They drafted both of those guys on day two of the draft last year, right? So investing in their young quarterback by getting young guys to develop around your young quarterback, right? I would love to see a situation for the Bears where they're doing kind of the similar thing, right? You know, draft a long-term piece on the interior of the offensive line. You know, draft a couple of wide receivers in this draft to develop uh, with your young quarterback, you know, get a couple of tight ends in there that can kind of, you know, develop, you know, alongside Cole Komet, right. And just continue to add youth and explosiveness and, you know, athleticism to this offense to where you can have an exciting unit, hopefully maybe not this, this next upcoming year, but 2025 and beyond, you know, this could be an offense that, 
you know, could really set fireworks off um, to go along with a defense that, you know, would be a, another year further along in kind of its direction for where it's going as a top half of the league unit, right? So to me, that that's really what it should be all about at this point. And if they can pull that off, I mean, that would be extremely exciting uh, for the Bears moving forward. You're right. It definitely would be exciting. And, you know, kind of looking at some potential scenarios here, I mean, so – Right now, when it comes to assessing your draft capital, you have picks one and nine, all right? And then after that, you don't have a seventh-round pick as a result of the Nikhil Harry trade, but you do have a third of two-fourths, I believe, and then a uh, fifth and a sixth-round pick as well. And what I bring this up, because that gap from like nine all the way to the third round is going to be an incredibly big one. And so I would not be surprised to see, given the level of, depth with and the talent that's going to be available at positions like wide receiver as well as i would i would even argue offensive line i mean you're going to want to see this team go ahead and trade back from ninth overall just because i mean again i understand the ninth overall pick is not as much of a return as the first overall pick but the big thing to keep in mind is that there's still potential there in terms of the teams that are potentially going to want to move up into that top 10 um, that you even get a 2025 first. And if you don't get a 2025 first, you at least get some draft picks in 2025, like a second and a third round pick, but then you also recoup some of that 2024 capital. And once that starts to happen, then all of a sudden now you're in a situation where, Chicago is, you know, picking multiple times in the second round if they can get a big enough return. Because to be fully honest, I mean, Green Bay this past year, you know, they had three second round picks. Now they traded two of the three, but then again, the same concept, I guess, still applies in terms of just moving back and gaining a lot of that additional draft capital. Yeah, I mean, look, this offseason, there are just a ton of options uh, for the Bears to to go with here. And that's what's going to make this really intriguing for us to talk about over the next few months, right? You know, it, it really, this offseason period couldn't get to, to us any quicker, I think. I think we just, at this point, we want to get more answers than we're probably going to get for a little while here at this point. Um, but it's going to be really fun to speculate here as we move along and get and go further along in the process here. Ultimately, like I, I look forward to whatever the bears decide to do here. I, you know, I think everyone knows my preferences for how the Bears should handle this off season. Now that you got Shane Waldron in the building here, you kind of have some clarity on the offensive side of the ball for what direction you're going in. Um, um, I ultimately, there are a lot of good options here. And hopefully Ryan Poles and this coaching staff are all on the same page for how they want to approach things moving forward here. But uh, with that said, I, I think that's going to wrap it up for us here today. Um, fun episode, I think. Just a lot. There's just so much to dig in here. I think we could talk for hours on this on this subject here. But ultimately, like, um, you know, going to have to move on to different subjects here eventually. You know, the Senior Bowl coming up here this next upcoming week. So, uh, for all of our listeners, make sure to keep an eye out for that uh, coming up shortly. Um, so we're going to have a full Senior Bowl you know, preview podcast coming up soon. Um, make sure to like, rate, subscribe, 
uh, to us and wherever you get your podcasts for us. And make sure to follow us on social media as well, at Picks for Polls on Twitter. You can follow the Bear Report on Twitter as well, at Bear Report. You said, where can our listeners find your work and find you on social media? Yeah, you can find my work on Twitter at Usaid Koshal. Check out my work on the Bear Report website as well. Yeah, and you can find me on the Bear Report as well. If I'm going to work there, going to be having a lot of off-season draft content and as well as some uh, free agency stuff as well as we get closer and closer to that. Uh, also going to be having some, you know, hopefully some senior bowl content and draft combine combat uh, content when that stuff comes around, um, you know, over the next couple of months. Um, you can also follow me on social media at AJFreeman25. Um, and until next time, Bears fans, that's going to be our senior bowl preview. Really looking forward to that. A very, you know, very exciting, very talented group uh, that's supposed to be entering the senior bowl this year. So I know you said and I are both really excited to get to that. But until that time, Bears fans, have yourself a great weekend and bear down. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.